Member Maker is brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com. Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. Today, I'll be chatting with Lindsay Stenevec, founder of Intuitive Eating Moms Club, about how she increased her membership price, how she used feedback to restructure her membership site, and why she's moving her audience away from social media and onto her email list. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be jumping in with this conversation. Cool. So what does your membership business do and who does it help? Yeah. So it's called the Intuitive Eating Moms Club. And essentially, this membership program is intended to make non-diet wellness simple for moms. There are a lot of programs out there for moms that are focusing on, quote, getting their bodies back. And I have seen a lot of problems with that from many different angles in the private practice work that I've done for many years in the one-to-one setting, sitting in rooms with moms, you know, hundreds of hours worth, you know. And Basically, rather than trying to force our bodies to look a certain way, I offer an easy and accessible way for moms to experience a wellness approach that ultimately helps them embrace their bodies, you know, seek a healthy relationship with food, which also helps them feel more confident with feeding and fostering that with their kids. Because ultimately, I want moms to not have to be distracted by food and body stress and allow more room to be present in their lives with their families for themselves. Uh, So that's the intention behind the program. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like a great goal. So what is the uh, pricing strategy? Sure. Okay. So and feedback, welcome for the record. I have been through a few pricing journeys. When I first launched the membership, I started very low cost. I felt like the information I had gotten through various resources had sort of said consumer-based, you know, membership programs should start pretty low. And the idea is to get, you know, kind of one-to-many, one-to-many program and sort of works out on the back end in that way. So I actually started out with sort of an entry-level launch price of about $4.99 to $15 a month, depending on which group I was sort of speaking to, what deals I was throwing out there and things like that. And then with the kind of early bird annual opt-in for $209, I think it was. And so over time, I've slowly increased that monthly cost and changed the the pricing structure a bit. So I used to release new monthly content. But now that we've been up and running for about a year, there's more than enough content up there for someone to be in the membership and have plenty to do for quite a while. And I also realized I was probably undercharging and probably maybe still am to to a degree, but have decided on a model of a $1 two-week trial, which then feeds into a $37 a month fee for access to a collection of audio courses, basically, on very specific topics. And if they'd like, they can upgrade to with a one-time fee of $379 for an entire intuitive eating course, which is sort of the base of the approach that we're using in this membership. And then they get all the other the other pieces too for a one-time fee. And if people do the $1 trial, I'm working on setting it up so that they can get a pretty good discount on that one-time access fee um, at the end of those two weeks if they 
would like to just get the all access pass. So that's a strategy so far. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely multi-step, uh, which isn't necessarily a mm-hmm. bad thing, but it, so the, the $1 two week trial is interesting. I haven't heard that too often. What kind of led you there? Yeah, it was sort of a logistics thing. I actually use Kartra for email and communications and landing pages and whatnot. And so have tried sort of setting up the membership in that program. And they up until recently didn't really have a setup in the way that I sort of wanted it to, to be a very smooth process from trial to paid. You had to at least charge a dollar. And so it was sort of with that. And I think at the same time, it sort of gives a teeny bit of buy-in. Maybe there's a little bit more intention behind jumping into the trial and, and maybe more of a focus on trying to get through the material. Even though it's just a dollar, it sort of gives a little bit of a buy-in. I do have one kind of free, very mini opt-in that is, you know, another alternative for people to sort of get to know what I do and, and what I can offer and things like that. But um, yeah, it was sort of logistics. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, I mean, there there is some evidence or sorry, there's a lot of evidence out there actually regarding difference between free, you know, zero and even $1. Mm-hmm. Dan O'Reilly's predictably irrational book comes to mind where they, they've run a lot of experiments on that type of thing. And there's a, there really is a huge difference. So by doing the $1 charge, whether it was strategic or whether it was a function of the, the limit of your system, there are obviously the benefits, like you mentioned, that you aren't just getting, you're getting people who are committed more. I think, like you said, I think that as opposed to people just kicking the tires or just kind of checking it out, like the kind of people that are willing to even spend just a dollar is going to be very different than if it was a free two-week trial. So if you're trying to keep support down, especially for folks out there, that's not necessarily the worst idea because it'll it'll really higher quality leads of sorts will come in. Yeah. I mean, I see that as a consumer. You know, It's so easy to just download the free opt-in and never open it. But if you have to think a little harder about, do I need this? Would this be potentially helpful to me? It's a v- still a very low barrier to entry, but at least it gives that thought and sort of helps that person filter themselves, you know, of do I want to try this out or not? I think it it does sort of help with that. So I agree. So what kind of audience building tactics have you done that have worked for you? Yeah. So I am still on that journey, but I would say it's no longer open. But at the time of the launch, I still had a Facebook group that was open that was free and had had that following for a few, gosh, I think maybe two years by the time we launched. So that was helpful. And then I have a podcast, of course, blogs, you know, traffic to the website, but primarily podcasts for updated content. And then of course we have social media and one that I've recently started to realize I have not been utilizing enough is just local because I have a private practice in San Diego and have lots of local connections. And it's so funny because I've kept the two worlds kind of separate, my online business and my in-person business. And I recently realized wow, I should have probably just started with local because that was sort of actually the lowest barrier to entry for me and this network of professionals that are in front of my ideal client. And those clients may or may not even be seeking you know, one-to-one care. And so something like a membership might actually be the perfect fit for that person. Let's say they're saying seeing a therapist after they have a baby and they might have some things around body image and food that they want a little bit of support with, but they're not really feeling like they need to invest in that one-to-one support. It's sort of that perfect audience. So that's been a a bit of like part of the learning curve for me in this journey of online business is to not discount 
the value of local. Yeah, I think that's something I've been hearing a lot lately. People trying to get like local meetups or local events and even just for general networking, but also, you know, if it's for your audience in particular, that can be really effective for folks. And the kind of relationships you build are a lot deeper than, than like a Facebook group necessarily. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of time to build those online connections. And it's, there's a lot of upfront work that goes into that. And you could you know, yeah. So local just, it sort of happens a little more naturally and, and a little bit faster. Right. So what have you done so far in your business that hasn't really worked? Good question. So speaking of audience, I think, although I had a following, I think that I launched the membership before I had a big enough following to help it to be as successful as I was hoping it would be. I should say. I just didn't slash probably still don't have the the numbers I felt like. You know, I've had about 30 people go through the membership. And when I was starting this and I felt like I had really realistic expectations, I thought, well, I'll probably have like 30 a month, you know, by the third month or so. That doesn't seem like super far-fetched. I felt like I had a pretty loyal following at the time, even though it wasn't super big. It seemed realistic, but in actuality, it's a lot harder than I expected it to be. I think also one thing that I had to learn through experience is that I was offering new content every single month, which I enjoyed doing. And I've always gotten really good feedback from every member on the content that it's really helpful. They appreciate it. It's effective. But when your membership isn't generating enough revenue to sort of pay you, so to speak, for that time you're putting in every single month, it can be really a pretty fast road to burnout, even though, you know, yes, you know, we we all, I think, start our businesses because we're passionate about helping people. And that certainly has kept it going and has kept me going with it. But ultimately, it's a business. You know, I have a family, I have to generate income, you know, and I have two businesses, one that, you know, generates a lot more income. And so it became very taxing very quickly from that perspective. So I'd say those were sort of two things that I felt like were oversights or didn't, I guess, didn't quote quite work or that I've learned from. Yeah. So let's transition to what would you say is sort of the number one most effective strategy that listeners can learn from you? Yeah, that's a good question. I really had to think about that because I'm still so much on a learning journey myself. I don't feel like I'm coming on here as the expert that has this uber successful membership where I'm just, you know, helping thousands of people every month and bringing in tens of thousands of dollars or, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? It's kind of like the the dream that I think everybody has when they think about the membership. But I think the most effective strategy or kind of piece of advice or learning that I've taken away from my experiences over the past year would just be to not be afraid to restructure things to both meet the needs of your members and you because a burnt out provider or a burnt out coach or a burnt out you know business owner isn't providing you know the top quality work that we know we can all provide and so one example would be we had well one would be restructuring with the monthly new content i'm sort of at this point now where i realized okay i'm going to restructure i can't continue to produce new content right now, but there's more than enough content. I mean, a plethora of content, especially for the price that people have access to. And to be honest, I think adding even more, at least right now in the way it's structured would almost be overwhelming. Sort of taking some of that feedback from the members was helpful and sort of kind of getting in touch with 
how I was feeling about it and whether or not this was sustainable was really important. And then I also had a Facebook community component to this. And actually what I started to hear from moms was that it was kind of stressing them out. And I actually had people who had contacted me and had interest in the group, but they said, you know, I'm really trying to stay off Facebook. It's not supportive for me or I closed my account. And so, you know what, since there's a community component on Facebook, I'm actually not going to invest in the program because I just don't want to get back on. And so I really listened to that. I thought that was really important feedback. And I could totally relate as a mom myself and a business owner that kind of has to spend time on Facebook to a degree. And so I actually closed that part of the program with support of the current members that we had at the time. And I'm still kind of thinking about how to build that community portion in a really thoughtful, intentional way. Um, But no one has seen, interestingly, even though I feel like it is a really important component to the club and what we're trying to do, it hasn't seemed to be missed by most, but it is something we're sort of looking at reincorporating in a different, in a different way Um, that still fosters the community, but helps people, you know, keep their social media boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. And yeah, the the push away from social media is definitely a trend that's on the rise. And I'd, I'd argue probably for the better and, you know, and, yeah. and it, better for you and, and better for your, you know, your customers and your audience, because at the end of the day, the social media platforms are, are the ones who actually, you know, own the audience. You're, you don't, you're not in control. They're allowing you to speak to your audience, but at any moment they can change the rules of the game and you have no say in that. And so what we've heard, I've heard from other people is things like focusing on an email list, which it sounds like you're doing right now because you can always control who you send emails to. That's likely not going to change anytime soon. And another option we've heard is having like a, a forum. So depending on the kind of membership software you're using, you can actually embed a forum on your website and make it member only so that your members can, you know, interact, post messages and threads, and then even directly message each other all on your website without having to log into another account, without having to be distracted by a social media platform. So that that might be something to look into uh, for the future. Yeah, definitely. But when you said, you know, the the main theme, although, was not being afraid to restructure. And and it sounds like you learned a lot just by listening to your members, which people who listen to this podcast know I say that all the time. But it's one of those things that's worth repeating because it it sounds simple, but it's harder to do in practice. And I think people don't realize how much they're not actually listening to their customers and they're in their own head kind of trying to figure out what to do next. So like, for example, you gave the example of not doing a monthly content release anymore because you had enough content and your member said you had enough content. That's a great example. Was there anything else that besides that in the Facebook group that kind of that you you feel like you changed or restructured? You mentioned pricing before too, right? Well, I thought about different options for pricing. I have thought about just keeping it super simple and just doing a one-time access fee, you know, and just calling it a day. With that, but I also think that the lower monthly costs allows certain parts of the membership to be more accessible to people who might not be ready to invest that full fee and may not feel like they need that full amount of content. So it's something we're trying out right now, but that is something I've sort of tossed around and and reconsidered. And then just the way that content is provided, although I've mostly done, I actually almost primarily provide audio courses and that has mostly worked well. Not everybody learns well via audio. And so that's, you know, something I've been considering is to incorporate more videos and, you know, different mediums as well. 
I'm curious what, why audio, why did you choose that as the main medium you were using? I choose it because of my ideal client, which is a mom. Oftentimes we're kind of going from one place to another, or maybe we are, you know, for home with the kids. It's sort of somewhat passive, I guess, way to consume content. So let's say a mom who is staying at home with her kids, you know, all day and would like to, you know, have some level of care in this way, they can just pop in their earbuds and take the kids for a walk and get through, you know, a portion of that module or they can pop it on in the car. But it's just this, it's a little bit easier to sort of be able to still be mobile and make sure, you know, your 18 month old isn't uh, pulling the knives down from the counter or something like that. Because when you sit down to a computer and watch a video, when you have young kids around, it doesn't take very long for something to get broken or spilled on or (laughs) destroyed just with that little bit of sort of attention shift. And so that was my intention there is to give moms this sort of what I felt like was an easy way to consume content. But of course, everybody has different learning styles. And so I also acknowledge acknowledge that and have sort of thought, you know, for some, maybe video would feel more, it would give it a better community vibe. They'd feel more connected. So it's something that I've kicked around. Yeah. No, the audio thing though, that's really smart to take into account the context of your customers, right? Now that that's That's Mm -hmm. a very smart insight. So, all right, so let's wrap things up a little bit here. Are there any resources that you'd recommend to folks listening? Uh, Things like books or other podcasts or courses? Yeah, in terms of developing a membership site. Uh, Ideally, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, I've just started listening to your show and I'm loving that and appreciate that. I have gotten a lot out of being a mom myself, identified quite a bit with Dana Malstaff and her brand, Boss Mom. And so have um, done a lot of fun stuff um, in connection with that brand. Stacey Tushel is another great resource. And then I have previously listened to the podcast Membership Guys. And that was really helpful years ago when I was starting to kind of, you know, toss around this idea and, and work on development of of the membership. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're, we're planning to have them on soon and, and, and Boss Mom as well. So yeah, good stuff. Cool. Cool. So for anyone who wants to learn more about you and, and your business, where should they go? Yeah. So they can go to intuitiveeatingmoms.com or, well, that's where the membership is housed. Nutritioninstincts.com is another website of mine. And then on Instagram, I'm at Lindsay Stenovec underscore rd it's kind of a a weird last name but i'm I'm sure if you do a little search it'll come up (laughs) yeah cool well thanks Lindsay. appreciate you spending time with us yeah thanks so much for having me on if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review there's a direct link in the show notes we really appreciate it Member Makers brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com.